So the book of Acts, it's titled The Acts of the Apostles. And this title is actually, when, when, when Luke wrote this book, it didn't originally have a uh, title. The, the title was that was added by the translators. Once they, once they translated from, from Greek to, to, to Latin, the, the, the title was added by the translators. But we know that the author is, is Luke, Luke the physician, Luke the, the writer of the, of the gospel of Luke. And we see that Luke's gospel was the first book addressed to Theophilus. As we see there in verse 1, he's going to say, The former account I made, O Theophilus. Of all, the, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. So we see that, that, the, that this book was, was actually addressed to a person. And it, it ended up getting circulated around the whole church. It was for the whole church. But originally it, Luke wrote it to, to address a, a person by the name of Theophilus. So we see that, that same thing with Luke's gospel. Luke's gospel was the first book addressed to Theophilus. As, you, as opening words there in the, in the first, first page of the gospel of Luke, he mentions Theophilus. So this is going to be the, the, the second account. The second account of, 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 of Luke's Luke's writing to Theophilus. So back in the day, it was it's it believed that that the both the scroll, the Gospel of Luke, and the scroll of the of the Acts of the Apostles were, were always together. Not one big scroll, but everywhere they were circulated, they were always you know that they were always with a rubber band together. So because it was the first account, the second account of Luke towards Theophilus, and we see that Luke was part of was uh, Paul's friend, and he was also his traveling companion. He was like his personal doctor, and we see that Luke joins Paul there in Acts. Chapter 16, verse 10. As we go through the whole book of Acts, we're going to see, you know, third person, third person pronouns like they, them. Uh, and, and you need to see that used. But once you get to, to Acts chapter 16, verse 10, there as, as, as Paul receives a vision, a vision to go to Macedonia, then you're going to see, then we went to Macedonia. So I believe that, that at that moment is, is, when, is when Luke joined in on the mission with Paul. You know, so again, from chapters 1 to 16, is written in the third person. But then Luke joins them there in chapter 16. And then from that point on, he writes as an eyewitness to the recorded events. So everything else, after chapter 16, Luke is writing, you know, as, a, as, a, as an eyewitness, as a, as a first person account. He was there. He saw all these things. So we're getting it straight from the horse's mouth, so to say. Now, the purpose for, for writing this book we see the fulfillment of Jesus' promise to the disciples of sending the Holy Spirit. And so there, there are various reasons for, for Luke writing this book. As, you know, he's going to write to Theophilus. And, and the first thing he says is that he writes of all the things that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up. And we see that one, that one of the purposes of, of him writing this book is, is, is to show us the fulfillment of Jesus' promises to the disciples of sending the Holy Spirit. As you guys remember there, we just finished John chapter 20, I mean John chapter 21, and, uh, and, and the whole gospel of John, he, he was promising them another helper, another uh, a comforter. Then John chapter 14, he mentions it, the comforter, the paracletus, the Holy Spirit. And he goes on to tell him, he is with you, he will be in you, and he will be upon you. So now we see here the, the promise being fulfilled to the disciples and really to all believers, including us. Another thing to know about the, about the book of Acts is that without the book of Acts, we wouldn't know how the gospel got from Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, to Syria, Cyprus, to many cities in Asia Minor, to Macedonia, to Greece, and to Rome, and then finally to the end of the earth. That without the, 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 the book of Acts, you have this pretty much this big old chunk of church history missing. If we didn't have the, the, the book of Acts, we wouldn't know how the gospel got from, from Jerusalem, where, where the Lord gave the, the commission to his disciples, to Rome, to city terrace. I mean, because of the book of Acts, we see, we see the gospel taken from, from Jerusalem out to the, to the whole world. 
So it's awesome to note that again, that the, what we're reading here is really church history, and we're seeing we're seeing again does the the gospel make its way from city to city to city, and eventually, like Jesus said, to the ends of the world. And I just think it's amazing because it's just such an important book to 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 study, to read through, to to uh, to really just uh, uh, visit often because it reminds us that man. I, I just think it's so awesome how again we're here two thousand plus years later in East LA reading about God's word, saved. And, and, and yet when, when the disciples were commissioned, you know, they didn't have social media, they didn't have any, any uh, you know, telegrams, they didn't have mail, they didn't have, you know, email, they didn't have any, any, type of, any type of communication except for by foot. They would, you know, write it down on the scroll and take it by foot. And you see that, that, the, that the gospel is, is honestly, without the power of the Holy Spirit, it, it, it had no, it actually had no, no means of, sur- of surviving. I mean, it, it received so much persecution and, we, and, and because of the book of Acts, we see that the Holy Spirit was upon the believers and it was God's working, you know, in getting the gospel to all these cities and eventually throughout the whole world. I just think that's amazing. So and pretty much we have a basic outline for the, for the book of Acts. And from chapters 1 to 12, we see that the, that the author focuses on the ministry of Peter. So we're going to hear a, a lot about the, the ministry of Peter from chapters 1 through 12. Then from chapters 13 through 28, he's going to focus on the ministry of Paul. And then here in the book of Acts, we see Paul's first missionary journey. There mentioned from chapters 13 to 14, we see Paul's second missionary journey mentioned in Acts chapter 15 through 18. And then we see his third missionary journey mentioned in Acts chapter 18 through 21. Without further ado, let's get into the book of Acts. So starting in verse 1, I'll read from verses 1 to 3. It says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So we see uh, Theophilus, again, he, he opens his opening statement. He says, the former account I made, O Theophilus. So he says the former account, meaning that, that there was another account before this. As we said, the Gospel of Luke would be that formal, uh, the formal account because he wrote the Gospel of Luke as well, addressed towards Theophilus. Notice there in Luke 24, 47, as we're going to see a lot of parallels between, between the Gospel of Luke and, and the book of Acts. In the beginning of the book of Acts, it's, it's meant to be one continuous story. Two different writings, but one continuous story. And we see a lot of parallels there in the last chapter of the book of Acts and the first chapter, I mean, the last chapter of the book of Luke and the first, and the first chapter of, of the book of Acts. We see a lot of parallels. Notice there in Luke 24, 47, he says, Jesus speaking, he says, And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And then here in Acts 1, 8, we, say, we see that Jesus saying, And you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem. And in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So we see again Luke as he's writing his, the, the book of Acts. He's, he's continuing the story where he's pretty much picking up where he left off in the gospel of Luke. The last chapter. We see these parallels kind of collide here in this, in this first chapter. Notice that again there in Luke 24 verse 49. The first part it says, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. So he finished the, the gospel of Luke by, by, by telling them of a promise. And then he begins the, 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 the book of Acts by, by stating that promise there in Acts in Acts 1.8 But you shall receive power When the Holy Spirit Has come upon you So he uses that same word Upon In Luke he says That promise of my father Upon you 
And then in Acts 1, you shall receive when the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So he's making them collide. You know, he's, he's, bringing, he's bringing all these promises to, to fruition. Again, notice there in Luke 24, 49, the second part says, But tarry in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. So he left them in the, in the, in the, book, of, in the book of Luke with the command, Hey, tarry in Jerusalem. And now we pick it up again here in the book of Acts as they're tarrying in Jerusalem. Acts 2, 2-3 says, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. So there, there we see the, them being endued with power from on high. So we see that, that he, it says that he, through the Holy Spirit, gave commandments to the apostle, to the apostles whom he had chosen. That's what Luke is writing. He's saying that, that, that Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, gave commandments to the apostles which he had chosen. So we know, as Luke states here, that, that, that when Jesus resurrected, he didn't go to heaven right away. But he stayed with them for 40 days. And it says that in those 40 days, he, was, he would come in and out of their midst and that he would teach them. There, the last chapter of the book of, uh, the book of Luke, it tells us that, that he began to, to teach them everything concerning the kingdom of God. And, they, and that he opened their eyes to the scriptures and then he took them through the scriptures, which was the Old Testament at that time, because they didn't have the New Testament. It says that, that, that he went through the whole Old Testament, the whole Bible, and he taught them everything concerning himself. So that he opened their eyes, and he was showing them, hey, the whole Bible is written about me. And he says that he opened their eyes. So for 40 days, he stayed with them, teaching them, opening their eyes to, 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 to seeing him in the Old Testament. I think that's amazing. And then, and then Luke continues to say that, that he, through the Holy Spirit, gave them commandments. So he gave the apostles commandments. Now, it's possible that, that, that Jesus prepared the disciples for the ministry that, that lied ahead of them. As we know that they, they, they had an awesome ministry that, that was about to take place. And, and as we read through the whole book of Acts, it's pretty much we're reading about the, the ministry of the disciples here in the, in the first century church. It's also possible that, that he instructed them in what to do. It's possible that Jesus is the one who, who actually told them to find a replacement for, for Judah, for Judas. So we see there in the... In the second part of this chapter, that, that, that Peter's going to pretty much take initiative and say, Hey, well, Judas betrayed Jesus. You know, it's written in the scriptures that, that, the word, that, that someone is supposed to take his place. You know, and so he pretty much just takes charge. And he says, Hey, well, we have to replace this guy. You know, the, the Lord chose 12 of us. There's only 11 because Judas betrayed him, even though he was meant to betray him because in the scriptures. And so he goes on, he takes charge, he pretty much takes initiative and says, Well, we've got to replace this guy. So it's possible that, that, he, that he received instructions to do this. Directly from the Lord. Because it says that Jesus taught them everything concerning the kingdom of God. So you, you could just imagine what he taught them for those 40 days. I mean, we had a little 30-minute session in there. You know, and Brother Gabriel gave us an awesome teaching and stuff. And we're just right there encouraging and ministering and teaching each other. And that was only 30 minutes. And man, I walked out of there like, man, I'm edified, Lord. Now imagine 40 years, you know, not with, not with each other, but with Jesus. Imagine having 40 years of just Jesus discipling you. You could just imagine everything that, that, that he would have taught them. You know, so, I, so I, me personally, this is my belief. I believe that, that, he, that he's the one who told the disciples and told Peter that, that they had to replace Judas. That's my opinion. Going on to verse 4, 4 and 5, it says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. We'll stop right there. So he tells them something very important. He says, wait for the, for the promise of the Father. He says, wait for the promise of the Father. So as they were there in, in Jerusalem, he tells them, all right, guys, wait. 
You know, it's like he already, he, he was about to, to ascend. He had already breathed on him the Holy Spirit. But he tells him, all right, now this is a waiting period. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and we see that, that, that he commissioned them to just wait for a little while. For what? For the promise of the Holy Spirit. And now, Jesus compares this, 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 he says that this promise of the Holy Spirit is actually, he calls it the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Notice this, which he said, you have heard from me. Verse 5, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So this promise that he's talking about is, 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 the, is the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the de- baptism with the Holy Spirit or the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Whatever you decide, you want to call it, it doesn't matter. You know, but, he, he's, but this is the, the promise that he's talking about. He says, hey, there's a promise from the Father. And this promise from the Father is a baptism with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus compares this, this baptism with the Holy Spirit to the baptism of John. Mark Mark in his, in his gospel there, Mark uh, chapter 1, verse 4, he's talking about, about John the Baptist. He says, John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Now, Jesus wasn't referring to, you know, to the reason for John's baptism. He's not saying, hey, this promise of the Father is going to be for, for the remission of sins. He's not referring to, to, to the reason why John was baptizing. But he was referring to, to the form that he was baptizing. Now, this word... Baptism, you know, I think in the Greek is bautizo, something like that. It, 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 the, it means a, a full submersion, an, an immersion in water. It gives a picture of a sunken ship being fully submerged with water, like being filled from head to toe, every single crack and crevice with water. That's, that's what baptism means. You know, so he's saying, hey, just like John baptized, baptized in, in water, his soul, the Holy, soul of the Father is going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. So he's giving them this insight of a new ministry of the Holy Spirit that they're about to experience not, not too many days from now. He's telling them, hey, God the Father is going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Again, this word baptism means a full submersion. Meaning you're going to be filled from head to toe, inside out, you know, every crack, every crevice. You're going to be drenched in the Holy Spirit. Just, just like you would be drenched if you were getting baptized. You go into the water, every single part of you is, is wet. Every single part of you is drenched. He says, you're going to be drenched in the Holy Spirit. And he says, this is the promise of the Father. So the question comes up, what is the baptism with the Holy Spirit? You know, the, the Bible teaches the baptism with the Holy Spirit. We see it right here. We see it in many other places in the Bible. You know, there's a lot of people that, that, that teach different things about it. You know, but we're going to be careful students of, of God's word and just look at what the scriptures say about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know, now, it's important to know that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not the same as, as, as you know, giving your life to the Lord and going out here and, you know, go to the beach or whatever and we baptize you under the water and boom. That's baptism. That's baptism. You know, that form of baptism is, is pretty much you, you're, you're, it's an outward expression of something that's going on in your heart. It's like you want to tell the whole world like, hey, I'm made, I'm made new. You know, like the idea of a water baptism is that, is that a person gives their life to the Lord, they go under the water and they come out as a new man, as a spiritual meaning. You know, and it's really, it's just, it's an outward expression to everyone, it's like to tell them, hey, look, I'm eating you, I'm being washed, the Lord washed me. It's an outward expression of something that's happening in the heart. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit is very different. So what is the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit? First, we see that, that Jesus said that the Father had promised it. That the Father promised this gift. That the, that the Father promised this baptism with the Holy Spirit. There in Acts 2.16, the next chapter over, we see that Peter confirms as he's there, it says, as, as they're there at the last day of, uh, of Pentecost, it says that the Holy Spirit came upon them and that, and, and that there was upon them these tongues of fire and that they began to speak in foreign tongues and that all these other people heard them speak in their own language. 
And then people started mocking them and started saying, oh, they're just drunk or, hey, they're just crazy. And, and Peter addresses that. And he says, no, we're not drunk and we're not crazy. He says, but, but he says, but this is, this is what, what, the, what the scriptures speak about. So we see that, 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 that Peter confirms there in Acts 2.16 that what had happened to them when they received the empowering of the Holy Spirit was a fulfillment of prophecy. So he's clearing it up. He's like, hey, we're not crazy. We're not drunk. It's still early. He said, what's going on right now is a, is a fulfillment of prophecy. This is from God. So he, goes, he, and he, he, he points us to, to Joel chapter 2. And, and, he, and he, he points us to, to the prophet Joel. He says, hey, this is what the prophet Joel spoke about. He says, what you guys see going on right now? He said, this is what the prophet Joel spoke about a couple, a couple hundred years ago. And he said, so turning to, to Joel chapter 2, verse 28 and 29. The prophet Joel uh, prophesied, he said, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So as, uh, as the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples there, uh, while they were there at the, at the day of Pentecost, and they began to, spoke, to speak in tongues, and people thought they were crazy. He said, hey, we're not crazy. We're not drunk. But this is a fulfillment of prophecy. This is prophecy being fulfilled right before your eyes. This is what Joel spoke about when he said, when he said that, that the Holy Spirit will be poured out on all flesh. He said, it's happening right now. We see that, that Jesus also predicted this baptism of the Holy Spirit. You want to turn there to John chapter 7, verse 37. Uh, as Jesus is there at the, at the Feast of Tabernacles. He goes, up, he goes up there at the Feast of Tabernacles. And in John 7, 37, it says that on the last day of the great feast, that Feast of Tabernacles, says that Jesus stood and cried out. Now, this is important because if, if you understand the, the Feast of Tabernacles, the, at the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles, there was something specific that would happen every single day. Now, at the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, there would be this sort of like a water ritual where, where they would have this, this basin of water flowing out, like, man, gallons and gallons of water. You know, they would do some kind of like, you know, a washing ceremony. You know, and you could just imagine, like, this was the, the last day, the great day. This was like the, the most important day of, of, of the Feast of Tabernacles, and, and it involved water. So you could just imagine, you know, thousands, thousands and thousands of Jews were there at the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem at this time. And, and, and you could just imagine as they're doing this, this ritual with the water, everyone's just silent. They're watching this happen. And then it says that Jesus stood up and he cried out with a loud voice. He says, if anyone thirsts, like you could just imagine the scene. Again, I'm very like, I'm, I'm very like, you know, imaginative. Like I read the Bible and it plays out in my head like a movie. I'm reading it just, it's, you know, I can just imagine Jesus standing up and everything is quiet. And you can hear a pin drop and Jesus just gets up and says, if anyone thirsts, causing a scene. But it says there in John 37, he, he got up, he cried, he says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And he says, He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then John adds his commentary and says, But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So, so we see this, this aspect of the Holy Spirit that, that Jesus was talking about. He said that, he, that it would be like, like, like rivers of living water flowing out from you. Not contained. It wasn't like a, like, a, like, a, like a container, but it was flowing out. It was like a fountain. You know, the, the NLT uh, translated as torrents of living water. You know, and I could just, I mean, when, I, when I read that, I think of like Niagara Falls, where the water's coming down with great force. And if you stand under it, it's going to take you out. You, know, you might even get hurt because of the, of the, of the force of the, of, of the water that's coming at. 
And this is what Jesus said. He says, if anyone, says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow torrents of living water. So we see that Jesus giving this, this picture of, the, of a ministry of the Holy Spirit that, that was yet to come. When he said that, like John said, they didn't know what he was talking about. But then John, later on as he's writing, he says, hey, but this he spoke of the Holy Spirit who was not yet given because Jesus had not yet ascended. So it was a promise to them, but they had to wait till Jesus was, was, was crucified, dead, buried, and, and, and raised again. Now concerning again the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We see that the baptism with the Holy Spirit is separate from, re from regeneration. Now, the Bible teaches that a person is indwelled by the Holy Spirit at the moment of conversion. That's, that's regeneration. When, when, when a person comes to the Lord, you know, you hear the gospel, and you, and you, put, and you place your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, at that moment, it, you know, you become, you know, regenerated. I mean, you're born again. You're, you're born again. And then again, someone gets baptized as just as an hour showing of what's going on in their heart. But we see that this baptism with the Holy Spirit is separate from regeneration. It's separate from, from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Because every single believer, no matter who you are, no matter how old you are, no matter what you've done, at the moment you place your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit now comes in and He indwells you. So now you have the Spirit of God dwelling inside of you. That's what we call regeneration. But this baptism of the Holy Spirit is separate from that. It's different from this. So what exactly is the baptism with the Holy Spirit? Plainly put, it is the power of the Holy Spirit flowing out from our lives to touch those around us. It is the empowering we need to serve Christ. It is something that we can come to the Lord about and ask for freely. So again, every single one of us, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible teaches that we have the indwelling of the Spirit. But this other aspect of the, of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, this baptism with the Holy Spirit, is, is, is not only when the Holy Spirit is just indwelling you, but now He's flowing out of you. And we're now, we become these conduits where the Holy Spirit is just, boom, just flowing through us and reaching people around us. You know, so, the, the, and this is the promise of the Father that, that Jesus is speaking about. This is the promise of the Father that, that the disciples are about to experience in a couple days from now. You know, it is, it is the, the, the outflowing of the Holy Spirit from the, from the believer's life. We've gone to, to verse 6. Verse, I'll read from verse 6 through 8. It says, Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So the, as he's, again, trying to explain to them this, this promise of the Father that, that's going to come. You know, they kind of go a different route and they say, Well, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel to, you know, now? Because we see that, 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 the, that the scriptures teach you know, that, 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 that the Messiah was to come and he, that he was going to restore the kingdom of Israel to the Jews. So when Jesus came, they were all looking for an earthly Messiah. They were, they were thinking that Jesus was going to come and, and overthrow the Romans, set up his kingdom, have his disciples rule and reign with them, and that they were going to pretty much you know, take over the kingdom again. So when he got crucified, you can imagine why so many people left. And, and rejected him because they weren't looking for a crucified man. They weren't expecting a crucified Messiah. You know, they, they, were, they were expecting a, a glorified Messiah was going to come in and pretty much take charge. They were expecting a, a, a militant Messiah. They were expecting this earthly king. And Jesus is going to come back as an earthly king. He's going to come up. He's going to come back and set up his, his throne here, here on earth in the, in the millennial reign of Christ. But it wasn't then. 
we'll see again that, that they were expecting this earthly Messiah. So when he came in, they saw him, you know, they saw meek and mild Jesus and healing, healing, uh, you know, the sick people and healing the lepers and, and, and hanging around with the sinners. They're like, man, this isn't what we expected. You know, they, they expected this guy to come in and just overthrow Rome and, you know, take charge and will sword out and everything. But when they see this loving Messiah come in, you know, and, and show compassion to the sinners, show compassion to those who are lost, you know, and then let himself be given over to, 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 to Rome, to be beaten, to be crucified, to be mocked, to be spit upon. They're like, this wasn't what we expected. You know, but they were neglecting another part of the, of the prophecy of the Messiah. Like it says there in, in Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. It tells us that the, that, that the Messiah was to suffer. You know, that, 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 he was, that, that he was to be stricken, that he was to be, to be, to be you know, forgotten. So they were, they were neglecting that, that part of the ministry of the Messiah. So here at this point, they ask him, like, Lord, are you at this time going to establish your kingdom? You know, they're still waiting for it. Now, if they had, if they had Joel's prophecy in mind, you know, then, then they had good reason to, to ask this question. I mean, sometimes we, we, we kind of come down on the disciples. They're like, oh, these stupid disciples. You know, they, they never get it, man. Ah, they, 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 you know, they're always, they're always thinking about other things. They, they never get the whole picture. You know, but if they were thinking about prophecy and if they were thinking about specifically the prophecy of Joel, then they, they, they would have been in the right to ask this question. Because they're in the prophecy of Joel that we just read, the next following verses, as this whole prophecy of Joel is talking about the day of the Lord. And we see that this day of the Lord is, is a day of, of, of God's pretty much judgment on the earth. The day of the Lord. And, 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 after, and after this prophecy that God was going to pour out His Spirit on all flesh, He goes on to say right there in Joel 2.31, it says that these things would precede the great and awesome day of the Lord. So they were thinking that this was going to happen immediately. Because again, because Aaron Joel, right after he says that, that the Lord was going to pour out His Holy Spirit, it says that the coming, the great and awful day of the Lord was going to come. Meaning judgment was going to come upon the earth. But what they couldn't see is this, is this grace period in between these, these two verses. You know, this grace period which we're living in right now. Where the, the Lord is, is, hasn't came back yet. You know, He hasn't fulfilled this part of prophecy, but He will. But the disciples are thinking that it was one continuous Prophecy thinking, all right, the Lord's going to pour out His Spirit. Then He's going to come up. He's going to establish His kingdom. The day the Lord's going to come, everyone's going to get judged. Boom. It didn't happen that way. So they're asking them, are you at this time going to, going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And He answers them. He says, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons the Father has put in His own authority. So notice that, that, that Jesus didn't give them a timeline. He didn't say, well, you guys got it all wrong. Hold on, let me explain this to you. And this is going to happen and this so many, in so many years and then in a thousand years and then you know by this time they're going to come back and notice he didn't sit them down and kind of correct their theology he didn't explain to them exactly you know, he didn't give them a, a timeline or a chart or give them any printouts or anything he just said hey not your business <laughs> pretty much that's what he said it's not your business because it's, it's not it's not for you to know the times or the season that the father has put in his own authority he says hey you can't know the mind of God he says we don't know what, what, what God does you know that's, that's up to him so notice he didn't give him a timeline, but imagine if you would have give if we if you would have given him a timeline. Imagine if you would have told him, "Well, check this out, guys. The Lord's gonna come back at so and so time. But in the meantime, you're gonna go out. You're gonna preach the gospel. You're gonna get persecuted. Uh, Peter, you're gonna get crucified upside down. You know, Stephen later on is gonna get martyred for his faith. You know, John, you're, you're gonna be thrown you're gonna be thrown into a boiling pot of oil, and then you're gonna survive. They're gonna send you to an island in Pamos, and you're gonna survive that." And say, imagine if you started telling them everything that was going to happen to them. Maybe they would have chickened out. I mean, I probably would have been like, oh, I don't know if I signed up for this. You know, and straight up. Straight up. So he didn't give them a whole timeline. He didn't tell them what was going to happen. But he just said, hey, 
It's not for you to know. It's not for you to know. So we see that there was still more information to be given. You know, we see that, that, that Jesus revealed some of this information to Paul concerning the rapture of the church and then later on to John concerning the second coming of Christ and the millennial reign of Christ. So it's like there's, there's a gap right there of information that, that, that they didn't have. But he tells them, all right, for now, just, it's not for you to know. You know, and he goes on to commission them, hey, but you didn't receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So it wasn't for you to know. Later on, when Paul gets saved, he spends some time in the wilderness of Arabia with the Lord. He comes back, he, 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 pins, he pins all these epistles. And then and, and it's like the Lord gave him this special insight on certain things that he didn't give to Peter and to all these other guys. And we learn about the rapture of the church. We, we learn about the, 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 the mystery, the, 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 the mystery of God, which he calls there in Ephesians, about the gospel going to the Gentiles. Because keep in mind that the Jews at this time, they think that, hey, man, only, only Jews are going to get saved. They didn't have in mind that, that, that the gospel was going to go to the Gentiles. You know, and, and we see later on that God calls Paul to take the gospel to the Gentiles. So there's, there's a big gap of information that they didn't have at the time. But we see that, that, that the Lord revealed these things to Paul. So the, main, the whole idea, he says, hey, it's not for you to know. So the idea is that, hey, we're not to be caught up with the times and seasons. We're just to be busy about our Father's business. You know, it's like, if I think, like, man, the Lord's going to come back in 10 years, I'm going to just chill out for nine and a half years, maybe nine and three quarter years, about a few weeks right before he comes back, I'm going to get busy about the Lord's business, go do some outreaches, go preach. So when the Lord comes back, I'll be good. Not like that. He says, don't worry about times. Just be busy about the Father's business. And, and, and that's an encouragement to, to all of us as well, to just, to just be busy about the Father's business. You're saying, hey, don't, don't worry about the time. Don't worry about when these things are going to take place. Just be busy about the Father's business. So, again, there was still more information to be given. And then he, he tells them, hey, don't worry about these things. He says, but, he says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. He says, don't worry about times, but worry about this. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now, this word power, it's spelled out dynamis, but it's spelled out, but it's pronounced dunamis. Now, it's, it's according to Strong's, the definition of this word power it's a, it's a special power. It's a miraculous power. You know, it, it's, a, it's, a ability, it's, it's a special ability. It's, it, it's, it's a power in abundance. It's a, it's, a, it's a meaningful power. It's a mighty power. You know, it's, it's, it's this specific power that, 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 that God gives to the believers. We get the word dynamic from it. You know, also the word dynamite. But I don't like to use the word dynamite because when you think about dynamite, you think about explosions and, you know, and, and, and no order and just boom, you know. That's not what it's about, you know, because God is a God of order. But, but we do get this word dynamic from it, you know, and what it is, it's like it's this special empowering that God gives to, to the believers. So he says, hey, don't worry about the times, but worry about this. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So he, he, he pretty much routes them back to the promise. Hey, stick to the promise. I'm, we're talking about the promise right now. There in John 20, 22, we see that Jesus, it says that Jesus breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. So again, after he had resurrected, he's there with them. And it says that he breathed on them. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, here in Acts chapter 1, he's talking about the baptism with the Holy Spirit. So the question comes up. And there's a lot of good Bible teachers that teach that, that, that this baptism of the Holy Spirit is just the empowering of what Jesus did in John chapter 20. That John, in John chapter 20, that the, that the Lord breathed on them, but that it didn't pretty much like kick in until Acts chapter 1. I personally, respectfully disagree with that. And I believe that's two separate things that, that Jesus is talking about. So Jesus breathed on, breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. 
I think whenever Jesus does anything, it's going to happen. There in Genesis chapter 1, it says that God breathed into man and he came to life. And then in John chapter 20, Jesus breathed into the disciples and they received the Spirit. I don't believe there's any gap in between. I don't think that, that there was any like waiting period. The Bible doesn't, doesn't, doesn't hint at that. I believe that when Jesus said, receive the Holy Spirit and he breathed on them, at that very moment, they received the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Now, turn to John chapter 14, verse 17. There it says that the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, as he's talking to them about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, he says, hey, I will send to you a comforter, the paracletus, you know, the, him who's going to come alongside of you. He says, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. He says, but you know him for he dwells with you and he will be in you. So as we're going through, through, the, through the gospel of John, we talked about these two prepositions of the Holy Spirit. You know, that he, he will be with you, he is with you and he will be in you. The, the, the Greek word for the word with is para. I mean, he will be alongside you. He will be with you. That's what the Bible teaches. That, that, that before somebody comes to faith in Jesus Christ, before they give their life to the Lord, the Holy Spirit is here in the world, you know, convicting us of sin. You know, before I gave my life to the Lord, I was out there running amok, doing whatever. And it's like, sometimes you, you, know, you have a little conscience and, and you know you shouldn't do certain things. And you know you should kind of stay away. That's the Holy Spirit with you. You know, trying to convince you to, to just come to the Lord. So he says, he, he is with you, para, says, and he will be in you. This N, the Greek, the Greek position is N, E-N. Now he'll be in you. Now this happens at the, at the moment of, that, that somebody places their faith in Jesus Christ. When he breathed on them, it says now the Holy Spirit was in them. But here in Acts chapter 1, he talks about the third preposition of the Holy Spirit. The upon experience, which in Greek is the epi, E-P-I. The epi experience of the Holy Spirit, this this. Third preposition of the Holy Spirit. This third ministry of the Holy Spirit, so to say. This upon experience. So I was three. The, the, the with, the in, and the upon. And now we're talking about the upon. And, and we see that this upon experience with the Holy Spirit is, is the promise of the Father. You say, hey, this is the promise of the Father. The, the upon experience of the Holy Spirit. This, this, this new dynamic, you know, working of the Holy Spirit in your lives. He's about preparing for, for what's going to happen in the next few days. You know, where they're going to preach to thousands of people. You know, Peter's gonna gonna go up there in the in the in the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, with the Holy Spirit coming upon him, he's gonna preach to thousands of pe- thousands of people, and, and thousands of people are gonna get saved all at once. It's like that was the, the the outflowing of the Holy Spirit in his life. So we see that that there are two distinct events. Now, I wanna I wanna read to you guys a quote from uh, from Pastor Chuck's book, Living Water. He says, "I'm convinced that the greatest need in the church today." is a renewal of teaching on the subject of the Holy Spirit. Only then will you, will you and I be empowered to go into the world as effective witnesses for Jesus, for Jesus Christ. The only hope for our nation today is a spiritual awakening that begins in the church with a fresh movement of the Holy Spirit upon the lives and the hearts of the saints of God. And that takes place, this is, and that takes the epi, the upon, the baptism with the Holy Spirit. That's from the, one of the chapters in, in the book Living Water from Pastor Chuck Smith. He says that takes the, this upon experience of the Holy Spirit. We see a lot of churches are not teaching this upon experience. You know, and I said, a lot of great churches, a lot of great Bible teachers, a lot of guys that I listen to, you know, don't teach this. Fine. I respectfully disagree. You know, but, but I, from my, what I see in the scripture, I see that these are two distinct events. The indwelling of the Spirit and the empowering of the Spirit, the upon experience of the Spirit. So he says, and you shall be witnesses unto me. He says, so once you receive this power, he says, you will be witnesses 
unto me. So before they could come, they could become effective witnesses for Jesus, they needed to wait for this power of the Holy Spirit. It's like if, if, if they receive this power at the moment that, that Jesus breathed on them there in John chapter 20, then my question is, well, why didn't they just rush the gates and get into ministry right there and then? You know, why did Jesus say, hey, wait for the, for, the, for the baptism with the Holy Spirit? Why? Because there was still further empowering that they needed to receive. So he says, hey, wait. Just wait. So in order for them to be effective witnesses for Jesus, they needed to wait for this power to come upon them. Now, it was going to take more than just a mediocre Christianity for them to reach many people with the gospel of Christ. You know, it was going to take for them more, more, more than just them, all right, you know, let's go out there and do this. No, it was going to take a specific you know, working the Holy Spirit in their lives to, to, to do what they were about to do in the, in the next coming chapters. Now, that speaks to us because nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. We too today, you know, need the empowering of the Holy Spirit to be effective witnesses for God. Guys, I pray for this every day, all the time, sometimes multiple times a day. Like, Lord, baptize me with the Holy Spirit. Before I come over here, I'm driving over here. I'm like, Lord, baptize me with the Holy Spirit. Lord, apart from, from the empowering of your Holy Spirit, Lord, I can't go up there. I'll go up there and look like a fool, Lord. Lord, apart from the empowering of your Holy Spirit, I can't, I can't go out there and share the gospel. Lord, apart from the empowering of your Holy Spirit, Lord, I can't, I can't be a good witness at work. Lord, apart from the empowering of your Holy Spirit, Lord, I, I, I can't do anything for you, Lord. Apart from the empowering of the Holy Spirit. It's His indwelling Spirit that, that keeps us safe. But it, it's, it's His empowering Spirit, spirit that, that equips us for the work of the ministry. Lord, I ask Him, baptize me with the Holy Spirit so I can just receive fresh vision for you to, to lead this church. Apart from the, the empowering of the Holy Spirit, we're, we're I don't want to say useless because you know, the Lord uses us. But we're not as effective. There's, there's, again, there's this other dynamic that's missing in our lives. So, so us too, you know, we're, we're too, we're too, ask the Lord, you know, constantly, Lord, baptize me in the Holy Spirit. It's not just for an outreach, not just for, you know, preaching. I mean, we're going to see later on that, that they get baptized with the Holy Spirit. They're going to preach to thousands. And sometimes we have that in our mind where we think, well, if I ask for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and then I'm not there preaching to thousands, then something must have went wrong. You know, maybe there was like a loose wire or something, and the connection didn't, didn't come all the way. And you think, well, I don't know, man, maybe, maybe I'm missing something. But this, this baptism of the Holy Spirit isn't always going to result in you preaching to millions of people. You know, it could, it could, it could, the Lord can empower you to do something so simple, but yet so important as just keep up a good reputation at work with your, work, with your coworkers. I go to work, I'm like, Lord, before, before I get out of my car, I'm like, Lord, baptize me with the Holy Spirit. Because if not, I'm going to go out there, I'm going to open my dumb mouth and say something dumb and blow my witness. You know, and I pray, Lord, baptize me with the Holy Spirit. And He does. He does. So we need this. You know, we, we need this, 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 this ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives, the, the baptism with the Holy Spirit in our lives, to just be faithful, faithful witnesses unto Him. We see that the, disciple, the disciples had to wait in Jerusalem for this first time special empowering of the Spirit that was freely given. So He says, hey, He tells them, hey, Terry and Jerusalem, wait until this happens. They, they had to wait. But... For us, you know, we're blessed that, 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 again, this was a one-time thing that they had to wait for us. We could come to the Lord at any time and just say, Lord, I need your, I need your special empowering. Lord, I need you to baptize me with the Holy Spirit. And there's no waiting period. The Lord, boom, at that very moment where you're praying, baptizes you in the Holy Spirit. There's no waiting period for us. This is a, a one-time thing for them. They had to wait. Us, we don't have to wait. We could just come to the Lord and say, Lord, I need you right now. I need that, that special just uh, uh, dynamic in my life right now, Lord, because... I'm going to go out there and do this work for you, Lord. I can't go out. Lord, I'm feeling dry. Lord, I'm feeling, you know, I'm feeling like I'm distant from you. Lord, I don't even feel you working in me right now, even though I know that your word says that, that you are. 
We need this. I love how Psalm 51, I believe it's 51. It says, uh, create in me, he says, create in me a clean heart, O God. You know, it says, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Then he goes on to say, it says, and, it says, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. This was, this was David saying this. He says, Lord, renew in me a clean heart. Lord, it says, and, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Now, this was an old testament this was before the cross thing you know back then you know the, the, the ministry of the holy spirit wasn't like how we have it now the holy spirit would come upon people for moments for moments you know for empowering moments but he wouldn't indwell them and he wouldn't stay with them you know we see that the holy spirit came upon saul when, when he was anointed he began to prophesy and then the people were like whoa was saul among, among the prophets and they began to say that all the time we see that the holy spirit came upon david we said the Holy Spirit came upon the guys who were with Moses in the wilderness. They began to prophesy. And then, then uh, Joshua goes up to Moses and says, Hey, you guys are prophesying. So I told him to shut up. And Moses was like, No, we need that. He says, he says It's my desire. He says, I wish that, that, that everybody would, would experience this. So we see in the Old Testament, before Jesus was resurrected, that this ministry of the Holy Spirit was a, was a, a temporary thing. You know, for us, we're blessed that we don't have to pray, Lord, don't, don't take your spirit from me. We don't have to worry about that. If, if we've given our lives to the Lord, His, His Spirit dwells inside of us. We don't have to worry about, oh man, I, I cussed today and ah, the Spirit left. Or, oh man, I was driving and I got road rage and I cut someone off. Man, the Spirit jumped out of the passenger seat. You know, we don't have to worry about, oh man, I was walking up the street and uh, some guy was looking at me wrong. So I dogged him back and, oh man, the Spirit just left at that moment. We don't have to worry about that. You know, but the Holy Spirit indwells us permanently. You know, so David prayed, hey Lord, don't take your Spirit from me. But us, we don't have to worry about that. We have this special, you know, promise of the Holy Spirit that He will indwell us. Now, with that being said, I know a lot of times we don't feel like it. We're like, we don't feel like the Spirit's indwelling us. Like, I'll, I'll be honest. I'm sometimes feeling dry. I'm like, Lord, I feel like, you know, man, I can't get the signal right. You feel like, you know, you have those old school radio dials. And you're like, I'm trying to tune in and all I hear is static. And I can't hear you. You know, and you feel like, man, Lord, I feel like I'm not even saved right now. But... We see that the, that the scripture teaches that the Holy Spirit indwells us permanently when we give our lives to Him. Even if we don't feel it, Paul says that we walk by faith and not by sight or feelings. I include feelings there. You know, it's not like, oh, I feel safe today, so God's with me. Ah, today I feel crummy, so God's not with me. It's not like that. So again, we have this, this privilege that, this old, that the Old Testament saints didn't have, you know, that this indwelling of God's Spirit. And even though we can feel dry sometimes, you know, we can always just come to the Lord and say, Lord, I need a fresh outpouring. Of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I need this fresh work in my, in my life. I give the example of, uh, of the Dead Sea. You know, if you guys ever seen a map of, of Israel, there's, there's pretty much two big bodies of water there in Israel. The Sea of Galilee and, and the Dead Sea. Now, they call it the Dead Sea because nothing, there's absolutely nothing that could survive in it. I think it's so salty. If you've been in Israel, you, you go into the Dead Sea. And I've been there in winter 2017. And it, it's, it, the salt content is so high that you go in there, you just float. Like you can't, you, there's no way you can sink. No, no matter how big you are, how heavy you are, you, you don't sink. We were there with a, with a really big dude, man. And he was like, oh man, I'm floating for the first time. Like you can't sink because of how salty it is. You know, so they call it the Dead Sea because it's so salty that nothing can live in it. No, no plant life, no animal life. Now, compared to the Sea of Galilee, where it's flourishing with, with, with life, you know, fish and all kinds of things, you know, algae and all, all kinds of life. You know, now the difference is that, that, that the Sea of Galilee is this big body of water. It has this inlet and an outlet. Water comes in, boom, and water goes out. The Dead Sea is just pretty much a reservoir. 
of water. There's, there's an inlet, but there's no outlet. And the water never goes out. And that's why it's called the Dead Sea, because the, 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 the water never goes out. And so us too, as believers, sometimes we could feel dry, man. We could feel like the Dead Sea. We could feel like, man, Lord, my life is looking like the Dead Sea right now, not like the Sea of Galilee. God is feel dry and dead and nothing's happening. And Lord, I haven't, you know, been a witness to anybody. And we see that, that a lot of it has to do because there's no outlet. There's no, there's no outpouring of the Holy Spirit from our lives. There's, 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 no, there's no way of the Holy Spirit, you know, coming out from us. It's in us. It's dwelling in there. It is the Dead Sea, you know, the, the Spirit's dwelling in us. But it's not coming out from us. And God's desire is that, is that, is that we would be empowered to, to, to allow the Holy Spirit to flow out from us. And this is what, what, what Jesus is promising the disciples, this, this baptism with the Holy Spirit, you know, this, this, this equipping of, of the Holy Spirit, this, this, dy- this dynamic of the Holy Spirit, this aspect of the Holy Spirit that's going to allow the Holy Spirit to just dwell from them. This torrent of living water that Jesus spoke about in, in John chapter 7. And he goes on to say this in, in verses 9 through 11. He says, now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he, he was taken up. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked, steadfastly toward heaven, excuse me. As he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner. So we see again, now, now the Lord commissions them. He tells them, are you going to receive power from the Holy Spirit? When the Holy Spirit comes upon, comes upon you, you're going to be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, to all the earth. And it says that when he has spoken these things, that he just started being taken up <laughs> to a cloud. And I just imagine that again, they're right there talking to him. Jesus is done. And he's just, <laughs> I don't know, just take, he's being taken up into a cloud. And they're right there just watching him. They're just like this, just looking up. And that's what it says that they're doing. It says that they're just looking up. They're looking steadfastly into heaven. It says that, that while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, it says, Behold, all of a sudden, two guys stood by. Now, these two guys are believed to be angels. It says, all of a sudden, these two guys in white appeared. They're up, the disciples up there just looking up at the sky, watching Jesus. Oh, he's gone. You know, and these guys show up and they say, Oh, what are you guys looking at? What are you guys looking so, so steadfastly at heaven? And he go, they go on to tell them, It says, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner. So we see that here now is the second promise that, that's mentioned in these few verses. The first promise was a baptism with the Holy Spirit. Now the second promise is that Jesus is going to return in the same way as he was taken up. That's what he says. He says, the same Jesus who was taken up from you to heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him going to heaven. The second promise, Jesus, as, as, just as you saw him taken up, he's going to come back. Now, this Jesus who was taken up, he says, will come back just the way you saw him leave. Now, these two men, the angels, they assure him, again, of this, of this other promise of the Father, which is the second coming of Christ. You know, and this is not to be confused with the, with the rapture of the church, because the, the Bible teaches both, that there is a rapture of the church, and that there is a second coming of Christ. Now, all scriptures that talk about these things, that talk about both the rapture of the church and the, and the, and the second coming of Christ, they're very similar they have certain, certain, certain things that, that make them different, certain things that, 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 that distinguish them, but they're very similar, you know, so there's a lot of people who teach that there's only one coming of Christ, you know, that there is no such thing as a rapture, there's no such thing as a second coming of Christ. Again, I respectfully disagree. I, with all reverence, you know, look to the scriptures, and, and this is what the scripture says. So again, this is not to, to be confused with the, with the rapture of the church, but what, what the angel is telling them about is the second coming of Christ. 
And I put your attention to, to Zechariah 14.4. This prophecy in the Old Testament of the second coming of Christ. Zechariah 14.4. I'm talking about the day of the Lord, which is, which is a day of judgment. He says, And in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two. So this is, this is a, 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 an act of judgment. This is, this is, a, this is a judgment day. And Jesus says that he's going to come back. He said, hey, his feet are going to touch the ground. Revelation 1.7, as John is getting the vision there, he says, Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him. Even they who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. So we see at the second coming of Christ it is, is to be a fearful thing because it's, he's coming in judgment. And the second coming is coming in judgment. So the Bible teaches that there's a rapture of the church. Immediately after, after the rapture of the church, there's, there's going to be a seven-year tribulation period. Halfway point that seven-year uh, tribulation period, three and a half years, as Daniel spoke about, the, the abomination of desolation. Half, uh, halfway through, the, through that, through that seven-year tribulation, the Antichrist is going to pretty much present himself. He's already going to be on the scene. He's going to present himself. He's going to go into Jerusalem. He's going to declare to be worshipped as God. The Jews' eyes are going to be open. They're going to realize... He's not the guy, you know, he's actually the wrong guy. But by then it's going to be too late. They're going to fall into the judgment of God. You know, they're, they're going to have to, 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 to spend another three and a half years, you know, under this, this Antichrist. But at the end of the seven year tribulation period, it says that, that Jesus is going to come back with his saints. Now the difference between the, the rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ is that in the rapture of the church, Jesus comes for his church. And it says that, that they're the first Thessalonians that they're going to meet him in the air. So he comes for the church and his feet never touch the ground. He says that we're going to go up to him. In the second coming of Christ, he comes with his church. Amen. And, and it says right here that in Zechariah that, that, that he's, going to, he's going to be on the Mount of Olives. Now it's important to know because the angel's telling him, hey, just like you saw him leave, he's going to come back. You know, so how did he leave? He was standing and, and he was there in the Mount of Olives and he ascended into a cloud. Now Revelation 1, 7 says that he's going to come back with the clouds. And Zechariah tells that, that, that he's gonna, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. So again, making that, that distinction. So again, in the rapture of the church, Christ will come in the air. His feet won't touch the earth. Again, there in 1 Thessalonians 4.17, that's where it's at. The rapture of the church. So then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So Christ will come for his church. And the second coming, Christ will come with his church. And the rapture of the church is going to be a joyful event for the believer. I mean, when Christ comes and he, and, he, and he raptures the church, for us, it's going to be a joyful event. Because we're going to go, we're going to be with the Lord. You know, it's, it's man, we're going to be with the Lord finally. You know, and I was talking to a brother yesterday. His name is Pastor Lau. And I was just like, man, I was hearing him talking. I'm like, man, this guy's so awesome. He's saying, you know what? He says, I'm ready to go home. He says, he says, he says I don't want to sound weird. He says, but I'm ready to die. He says, I'm ready to go with the Lord. So I can't wait for the Lord to come back for us. Or for me to die and go with him. He says, I just want to be with, with the Lord. I want to see my wife who passed away. He says, I can't wait. He says, I'm, he says, I'm counting the days. I thought, man, that's so cool. You know, but, but that, that's, what, that's what the rapture of the church, it, it, that's what the event of the rapture is to the believer. To the believer, to somebody who's placed their faith in Jesus and, and has trusted him for salvation. And we know that when the Lord comes back for his church, it's going to be a joyful event because we're going to meet him in the air. You know, it's, we're, it's, we're going to be made perfect. We're going to be with them. We're going to rejoice for the non-believer. It's going to be a, a day of judgment. It's going to be, you know, it's going to, it's going to be a, 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 a disastrous event. Because they don't have Christ. So again, 
the rapture of the church is going to be a joyful event for the believer, you know, and the second, the second coming of Christ will be a day of judgment. Then we finish here with verses 12 through 14. It says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, so Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James, so not the Judas, the betrayer. It says, These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication, with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Now, this is actually the last mention of Mary. After, after this right here, it says that Mary was with them in the upper room praying. After this, you don't hear about Mary at all. Anywhere. Anywhere in the Bible after this. So that tells us that, that she didn't have an important role in the, in the, early, in the early church. You know, she wasn't, a, she wasn't a, 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 a key player, you know. She was, obviously, the Lord, I believe the Lord was using her, but she wasn't of, you know, of, of great significance because she doesn't come up anywhere else in the Bible after this. Just so that she was there praying with them. That's just what the Bible says. And we see that, it says in verse 12, that they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem. So we see that as all this happened, they weren't in Jerusalem. They were in the Mount of Olives, confirming this prophecy of Zechariah that when Jesus comes back, it says that he's gonna, his feet are going to touch the Mount of Olives. And we see that Jesus, when he ascended, he was at the Mount of Olives, just confirming prophecy. And that's what Luke is doing. As he's very, Luke is very careful to give details. You know, as you read through the Gospel of Luke, his Gospel is the longest because he gives, like, he gives very important details, you know, details that the other Gospel writers don't, don't give. And so he gives us, he mentions this detail, like, hey, we're, we were in the Mount of Olives when all this happened, when we saw him ascend, then we went to Jerusalem. This confirms the prophecy in, in Zechariah that, that the Lord is going to come back to the Mount of Olives. And he goes on to say that they had entered, they went up to the upper room, and there they were just praying steadfastly, all with one accord. Now, with that, we'll close, and, and I just... I, was, I just think it's an awesome chapter to go through, you know, because I, think, I believe it's a, it's a perfect introduction to the whole book of Acts. As we're going to see the, 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 the ministry of, of the Lord through the disciples, you know, and this book is called the, the Acts of the, uh, the Disciples, the Acts of the Apostles. But really what it is, is, is the act of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the apostles. Really what it is, is the act of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus through his disciples. Really what it is, it's the ministry of Christ, you know, through his followers. Important to, to note that the, that the book of Acts is the only book that doesn't have an end. It's open-ended. You know, we're today living in the book of Acts. And the Lord, and history is still being written. We're, we're followers of Christ. You know, the book of Acts ends with, with Paul there in Rome and he's penning, he's penning his, his, his letters. But, but the work of the Holy Spirit is still continuing on to this day. And that's what the book of Acts is. The book of Acts is, 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 a, rec- is a recorded working of the Holy Spirit through the lives of of the believers, through the lives of the apostles, through the lives of the disciples. And then as you see more people join the church, join, join the faith, you know, be added to the church. Then the Gentiles and those guys in Ephesus, those guys right there in Macedonia, all these guys are being added. And then they go on and they do works. You know, and so this is what's going on today. The book of Acts has been in continuation all the way from, from, from this moment up until now. You know, it's like whenever, whenever you, you, you do a work for the Lord, it's like, hey man, this is being recorded. I believe that the Lord is, is just having a book you know, recorded for us there, there in heaven. You know, and this is just like the continuation of the book of Acts. Guys, we're living in the book of Acts. You know, and, and God's desire is, is, that, is that we would, is that we would uh, walk in the same empowering that the, that the early church had. That we would walk in the same, in, in, the, in the same calling. That we would walk in the same dynamic, you know, spiritual power that He has given us. 
you know. And, and, and that's my prayer for us today as we, again, just study the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know, maybe this is the first time you ever heard about it. Maybe it's been a while since you asked the Lord for the, for the, for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Hey, dude, maybe, maybe you're feeling dry. You know, maybe you're like, man, I haven't really felt God's presence, you know. And we use that word felt, His presence. I mean, you feel it. I believe sometimes the Lord gives, gives us like a tangible feeling where you can feel God's presence with you. And it's beautiful. But He's not always going to give you that. You know, but maybe you're just like, man, I, I don't feel like I've been walking with the Lord like, like I used to. I mean, you just feel dry. Maybe you feel like, you know, like, like you haven't heard God like you used to. Or like, like your life isn't as, as, as dynamic as it used to be. Like your relationship isn't as close with the Lord as, 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 as it used to be. Maybe you feel like that flame is kind of just dying out. And, you, and, and this is the opportunity to just ask the Lord to pour some lighter fluid on that. Lord, pour out the whole bottle of lighter fluid. Ignite that flame in my heart for you again, Lord. So with, the, with this, I want to just end. And, 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 and I want to just pray for you guys. And, and there, there as you're sitting there, you know, if, if you desire to, to just receive this, this fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit in your life, then that's what we're going to pray for. You know, I'm going to pray for you guys. And you just in your own words, you can pray to the Lord and just say, Lord, baptize me with the Holy Spirit. Lord, fill me to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. Father, empower me for the work that, that you've called me to do. 